If you're a pro, you know that this is not efficient because you know there's a better way. There's also a better way to save. When pro customers buy building supplies in bulk at Lowe's, they save up to 20% every day. Buy in bulk and save up to 20% on concrete, gypsum, and gypsum accessories. At Lowe's, buy more, save more. Visit the Pro Desk or Lowe'sForPros.com for details. Discount applies to contract to pack items. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. I am Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and the NFL for FanRank Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Subscribe to the podcast. Remember to tell a friend. We like to we like to grow our community. Cheesehead Nation is everywhere. You, you, you can go to any city in the world and find a Packer fan. So find a Packer fan who needs a daily podcast and tell them about this one. It is September 12th. It is Expert Tuesday, and today we have Ben Fennell. He's a producer for ESPN, for NFL Films. He does so much on his Twitter account with breaking down film and players. And if you are a fan of football in a nerdy-ish way, that is Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. And no one is better at bringing you The tape breakdowns of what's going on, what you're watching. He will always break down a Packers game afterward, and it is it is must follow if you're a Packer fan who who likes to get a little deep divey, a little inside baseball, if you will. Just a quick reminder: this was taped ahead of time. I am currently on my honeymoon, and so we didn't deep dive into what happened with the Packers Seahawks game because that game hasn't been played yet. But I still wanted to bring you Expert Tuesday. I still wanted you to bring some insight for Ben. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some big picture items. We're going to get into some some scheme. We're going to get into some personnel and some things that the Packers do that we're really excited about. Some things that they don't do that we wish they did. And so it's a really great conversation. Ben and I, seriously, we could have talked all day. He will absolutely be back on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, But I I wanted to bring you this conversation because especially early in the year, there's still a lot that can be discussed about what's going on, what, how they can deploy their personnel and how they should be deploying their personnel. And because we haven't been doing this podcast all off season, or at least I haven't, I wanted to bring you Ben's insight on this team because I think it's really valuable. Before we get to Ben, I want to give you a quick reminder that you can find so much Packers content for SB Nation at the Acme Packing Company. It is a a wonderful resource for Packer fans, and you should be reading it, if not every day on a regular basis. At least you should listen to this every day. I'll cover the high points. We'll be okay. And you should also be reading FanRag Sports for all of your NFL content if you're an NBA fan. Baseball, there's great NBA content and baseball content there as well. And if you want to sponsor this podcast... 
or if you know someone who might want to, and you're interested in advertising to men between the ages of 18 and 44, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Packers is listened to by 98% men. Again, we're always interested in changing the demographics. We would love to have more women listen to this show. But if you're interested in men between the ages of 18 and 44 in terms of an advertising proposition, this is your spot and our rates are reasonable. So email me at peter underscore bukowski at yahoo.com to find out more. Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Pete. I know we've uh, bantered enough on Twitter. It's great to finally uh, you know, break down the Packers <laughs> with you over the phone here. 100%. I'm, I'm very, very excited. So we, you, are, you are all over Twitter with the tape, breaking down scheme. I want to try and get nerdy enough, but not too in the weeds on, on some Packer stuff here. So let's let's start with this. And it's something that I have been fascinated with all offseason into the preseason and, and through the start of the year. Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks come in. It gives the Packers offense so much more flexibility. When that happened, did you have initial reaction like, oh, I can't, like, they're going to be able to run X, Y, and Z, or this is going to make this sort of change in this offense? You know, I was excited for the idea of them. Obviously, I knew what Lance Kendricks was uh, in St. Louis coming out of Duke, and he, you know, really flashed as a rookie and just never really lived up to that production that they wanted him uh, to be as a, really a pass-catching vertical threat in that offense. And we've seen what Martellus Bennett has obviously done against us in the division with Chicago and then winning the Super Bowl last year at New England. So I was just excited to have some new, fresh faces at the tight end position. It always seemed to be a position, aside from Jermichael Finley, that we just fell into guys, whether it was right. Donald Lee or Andrew Quarles or Spencer Havner or Tom Crabtree. They were always just guys, those back-end roster guys that were special teamers. And then we found out what we can do on offense with them, and we'd ask them to block, and it wasn't perfect. And it's just nice to go after some marquee names at the tight end position and that the organization – and, you know, the, the, the powers that be, the Ted Thompsons and Mark, Mur- Mark Murphys and Mike McCarthy's saw that as an opportunity. And it was a position that they wanted to upgrade and felt like going out and getting some better talent, some proven talent could definitely bolster the position. So it was just gratifying to know that the organization as well saw that as a position to be upgraded and they wanted to go upgrade it. You're you were being generous there. I think a little bit of like oh they were they're fine. <laughs> some some of those guys were pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's tough though when you have those Donald Lees or Andrew Carlises that are undrafted, and then all of a sudden we're an eleven personnel right. team, so we have three wide receivers on the field, and we ask that tight end to wear a lot of different hats. He's yeah. a tight end. He's a vertical threat. He's a fullback. He's an H back. We ask him to do so many things, and and they're just not going to be you know, a well-rounded tight end skill set, you know, from top to bottom. So it was always kind of clunky and guys would flash at times. And then we get frustrated other times when, you know, they yeah. couldn't sustain a block or do something that we needed them to do. So it was just nice that we went out and got some marquee traditional tight ends. Yeah. And you would hear Aaron Rodgers always try and pump them up like, oh, you know, like Andrew Corliss is, he's making the leap. I'm really impressed. He's put the work in and then he'd He'd disappear for six weeks straight, or he'd do something dumb in the off season. And it was, it was always sort of like finding that balance. And you're right, even going back to Jermichael Finley, that was a a roller coaster, right? I mean, we, there was always he was the most polarizing guy on the team, if for no other reason than 
We saw that talent flash. I mean, I'll never forget watching him in that Arizona playoff game, Aaron Rodgers' first playoff game. They couldn't guard him. Yeah, and now that we're, you know, four or five years removed from Jermichael, I think fans almost need to be reminded of how much of a freak and a matchup nightmare he was. Oh, 100%. He, and especially pre-ACL. That the ACL injury was an enormous blow for him. He was leading the Packers in receiving before he tore his ACL against Washington. Like, the, yeah, he was on his way to a monster season. The, speed, the hands, the route yeah. running, like... Guys like that just don't aren't walking around these days. They don't grow on trees, that's for sure. So it, it's definitely changed the offense. And and something that we that, that we um, read about in this offseason, there were some or a couple of really great articles about how the tight end position is actually the second hardest position in the offense, other than quarterback, to pick up in the league because you need to know all the blocking schemes and you need to know all the routes because they play in line, they play on the slot, and they play on the outside. And that was something that sort of intuitively you know, but it hadn't really occurred to me to think, oh, yeah, that's right. They're doing a lot more with blocking than a receiver would. They need to know all the protection calls. They need to know They need to know the X. They need to know the Y. They need to know the Z. They need to know everything. Yeah, no question. And, you know, six or seven years ago when the Big 12 was pumping out these big athletic tight ends, the Martellus Bennett's, or Michael Finley's, Brandon Pettigrew's, Jermaine Gresham's. Yep. And they're coming out of these spread-type systems. And to have to learn a pro-style running system for tight ends was one of the toughest adjustments. Not only putting your hand in the ground and learning how to be a blocker at the point of attack, just understanding the pro-style running schemes was a huge adjustment level. Before you can even get into the, yeah, I'm an athletic pass catcher and I can play out in space, we need to make sure you can do the NFL tight end jobs. And as sexy as those Brandon Pettigrews and Eric Ebron's were, you know, there was a huge learning curve to those positions. Yeah, and unfortunately, that it's it, isn't it weird? There have been so many top picks at that position over the last decade plus. Most of them have flamed out, and it's been the Julius Thomases and the Jimmy Grahams and the undrafted free agent guys that have basically been plucked off basketball teams that have popped. Yeah, no question. And it's funny to see, you know, I was at dinner at the Combine this past year with Al Golden, uh, former head coach of Temple, University of Miami, and now he coaches tight ends with the Detroit Lions. Name drop. I just, I had a lot of questions for him about Eric Ebron and just the tough philosophical position it puts a coach in to say, he's really athletic tight end, but we need him to do things he doesn't do really well. Yeah. And out of nowhere, they had an undrafted player from the University of the Incarnate World Cole Wick all of a sudden turned into their starting tight end because he was a better blocker. He understood it. He was a he was more of a fighter. He was a more physical player. And it was just just dealing with those situations that maybe that undrafted guy who's willing to work a little bit more at his craft and to be a little bit more physical is actually turning out to be a better pro than that marquee elite athletic talent that we drafted in the first round. Yeah. So one of the things, and we talked about this on Twitter, um, earlier in the summer, Bob McGinn wrote about it last year, and I was really interested to see how it would manifest itself um, over the over the last eight or nine months as the team was tr- sort of putting itself back together. Ted Thompson loves a young roster, and Dom Capers loves complicated defenses that require veteran understanding. They require... Uh, they don't just play cover three, right? They're going to play 
combo coverages. They're going to play trap coverages. They're going to they're going to do all kinds of different things. There's going to be blitz calls. There's going to be weird formations. He's going to be creative. At some point, like, where does the rubber meet the road on this? You know, I I feel like you just presented it pretty succinctly, and I don't know if I've been able to grasp it as as cleanly as you just did. As Ted Thompson likes the young players, and Dom likes a complex defense. Um, you know, it's kind of it's pretty well put right there, almost poetic. My issue with Capers sadly is sadly poetic. <laughs> yeah, as my issue with Capers has just been Packers' defensive identity is they don't have an identity. Yeah. So each week, I don't know if we're going to be a man team, a zone team a hybrid team, a pressure team that week. And in conversely, when I'm studying our opponent and preparing for our week's game, I really am not sure how opposing teams are going to attack us each week. Right. So I don't really know how to prepare from a defensive standpoint to say, like the Seattle Seahawks, they have an identity. They're a single high team. They play man free and they play cover three. Great. Now we know how teams are going to attack us. They're going to look for their man beaters and their cover three beaters. Now, these are the cover three beaters. This is what we have to look out for. With the Packers, since we don't have a defensive identity, I don't know how they prepare to be attacked and to be game-planned against because you don't really know what you're going to get. So that creates a confusion for the offense because you don't really know what you're going to get each week. But from a defensive philosophy standpoint, they do a lot of different things. There's a lot of different hybrids and variations within the scheme. And like we saw you know, just after the Super Bowl run and all the blunders in the defense with coverage busts and confusion and big plays down the field, I thought Dom was taking a more conservative approach with the young guys and starting to vanilla up the scheme to work in the young talent. And it seems like over the past 18 months to two years, he's gotten back to his complicated schemes and really mixing up his defensive calls again. And I think with the influx of young players, once again, we're seeing that bear its ugly head. And I think he's going to have to tone back the the variations, you know, until we start to get some consistency with personnel and some of the young guys step up. Yeah, and it's one of those things too, right? When when the players execute the scheme, Dom looks great, and when they don't, it's like, what are we doing? And so and so you have to fi- you have to balance that out. And unfortunately, over the last few years you know, as fans, as, as people in the media, whatever, we haven't seen that out of this defense. And it's frustrating because there is talent. We know how good Nick Perry can be when he's healthy. We know how good Clay Matthews can be when he's healthy. Although as I, as, as I mentioned before the year, you have been the biggest advocate for Clay Matthews. Isn't really an edge player anymore. Uh, but one of the things that, that I have been encouraged by over the last year or so, with Dom Capers is let's play Morgan Burnett as a de facto linebacker. Let's let's draft Josh Jones who runs four, four and has a 38 inch vertical and is a freak athlete for a safety. And immediately after we draft him, say he's a linebacker that, that sort of progression. Isn't that where the league is going in terms of defending spread offenses and, and getting as many athletes as, I mean, you look at Kevin King, he's six, three, 200 pounds. He runs four, four, he can jump out of the gym. He doesn't quite have a clue what he's doing yet, but you hope that Joe Witt can teach him. But they're getting athletes on the field. And I think, I hope, this is the start of that issue that you talked about with the identity. I, I don't I don't know if we're there yet. We're certainly, well, we haven't proven 
the Packers haven't that they're there yet, but it seems like they're going in the right direction. Or do you see that? I mean, look at Kenny Clark, young freak athlete. Yeah, I think they're definitely gearing towards athletes, and that's just where you know the the nature of the game is going. I feel like Ted has always been a believer in the hybrid style of player, the one that maybe isn't a defensive end, isn't a linebacker, but will find a use for him. He's right. not really a safety, he's not really a corner, but will find a use for him. And I don't think you could ever have too many of those hybrid style of players. But it is refreshing as a Ted Thompson who's a little bit of an old-school football guy, and I think we'll all kind of agree to that across the board. It's great to see him start to evolve and start to, you know, change with this ever-changing NFL as well, and he's not just stuck in his old ways. I know he does these very selective press conferences, but I just wanted somebody to ask him over the last five to ten years, what have you had to do differently to keep up with the changing NFL? I want to know what Ted Thompson had to do that maybe he didn't want to do but because this is the way the game is going and the NFL is going, he needed to break out of this mold that he was used to, you know, building a team off of or, you know, uh, going after a certain player with a certain skill set to fit what he wanted to do on his on his ball club. Um, but it's nice to see that he's starting to, you know, change with the times and starting to put those hybrid players in other positions and start to account to account for the the game and, and, you know, the different uh, trends and intricacies of the game. But this game is cyclical. And just as guys get speedy and faster and spread out, there's going to be some teams that are going to start to beef up and to counteract how defenses are responding to that. So 100%. Uh, yeah, I guess there's a lot of thoughts in that. It, it is yeah. not that he is adjusting <laughs> to that and seeing this trend of a dime linebacker and whatnot, but just when you get comfortable with having that undersized linebacker, wait for the NFL to change on you again, and all of a sudden right. offenses are going to beef up and run at that guy. Well, and guys are bigger, stronger, faster than ever. I mean, look at someone like Devontae Foreman who comes out of Texas. He's he's six feet tall. He's 240 pounds. He runs 4'4", and like hot how is Josh Jones, who's six flat, 220, he can run, but can he tackle Devontae Foreman in the open field? We don't know if Devontae Foreman is good, right? But like, that is the, this is the dilemma that the guys are bigger, stronger, faster everywhere. And so maybe we're moving towards the kind of defense the Seahawks have where everyone is a similar size, but they're big, they're fast, and they're strong enough. Like the Seahawks are not a big team. But they are a top five run defense every year. It really is amazing when you when you think about it. Like they don't they don't start regularly a guy over three hundred pounds, and they're a number one. They're a they're a top five run defense every single season. Yeah, I mean Seattle is kind of a freak example. I mean they have some dogs. Yeah, that's true. Up front. They that's have true. some absolute dogs up front. Michael Bennett is a dog. Frank Clark is a dog. Cliff Averill is a dog. You know, yeah. Cam Chancellor. Yeah. But what I like about them is they have an identity. They have something they can hang their hat on. They say, hey, you know what? We're a man-to-man team. We're not going to allow the big ball over our head, and we're going to play stout run defense. We're going to jam receivers off the line and not let anything go over our head, and we're going to tackle, tackle, tackle. I just want the Packers to have an identity. Are we a pressure man team? If we are, great. Let's be that, and let's be good at it. If you want to be a clunky, heavy cover two team, okay. But let's be that, and let's be yeah. damn good at that. When you, when you keep changing and flipping back and forth and mixing and matching and you want whole different defensive line units and a rotate defensive backs and 
there's a lot of moving parts with a complex scheme, and I just think it's a recipe for failure. By the and, way, I, I think they could be a really good guys. cover two team with their personnel. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying they would be one or the, one or the other there, and it's kind of interesting to see this trend in college football of offenses uh, rotating in wide receivers to wear out defensive backs. Yeah. And now, last year, Ohio State rotated defensive backs. Yeah. And I just hope that's not the trend of the NFL and that teams are going to try to rotate these players in and out to keep fresher bodies on the field because the NFL is complex. Every play, something is disguised. Every play, something is rotated. And every, you know, every team is get, kind of getting younger and younger. And I just fear for the maturation process of getting these players on the field. I'm with you. Bill, Bill Simmons wrote a column, God, this has got to be 10 years ago now, where he said, and he's so right, you, you watch some, an offense take a shot down the field on a nine route, the receiver in the corner, dead sprint. And afterwards, what does the wide receiver do? He, he comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Corner stays on the field. So why would you not run that same nine route against that same corner right away? Yeah, and that, that was always a tricky little gamesmanship uh, note from offenses. That's been going on for decades and decades of having the, the backup receivers run off corners and you get the starter in and you run them off even more. Exactly. But I never heard of, and as I was studying Gary on Connolly and Marshawn Lattimore last year at Ohio State, I'm like, oh, Lattimore looked good on the opening drive. Wait, he's off the field the second draft? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there he is again. Oh, wait, he's off the field for a quarter? Yeah. Like, I could never understand that they were literally rotating in their corners with drive by drive. Yeah. And and they played great as a result, by the way. Conley and question, but, it's, but it's incredible. a fairly simple scheme and you can mix and match and you have a you know a, a fairly small set of rules and you know, if if you simplify your scheme, yeah, then maybe you can rotate some players in. But I can tell you right now, you can't do that with any sort of these hybrid defenses. No, you can't. All right, Ben, we could, I, I could talk to you all day. I really could. And uh, hopefully sometime in the near future, we will do that and there will be beer involved and it will be glorious. But I, I, I very much appreciate you joining us. Uh, I, we will absolutely have you back. Um, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on, Pete. I know we'll do this again soon. Terrific. I want to thank Ben Fennell again for joining us. He is an irreplaceable resource on Packers Twitter. That's it. And we will be here tomorrow. There will be a Falcons deep dive. We're going to have Charles McDonald, who you may know on Twitter as at 4 He is um, an extremely knowledgeable and, and funny person on Twitter. So, so please follow him at 4 We're going to get into how the Falcons have changed since last year. The Packers played that memorable regular season game with them last year and then the uh, less memorable NFC Championship game, memorable for different reasons. And so we're going to talk about how this Falcons team has changed. We're going to talk about what they're going to look like this year and how they match up with Green Bay. That will be the last podcast of the week. And then we will be back next week with a full slate of podcasts. So until tomorrow... I am Peter Bukowski. I'll be Peter Bukowski tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. But until tomorrow, and as always, stay locked on Packers.
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.